So our text this morning um, begins uh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, um, and kind of leads into the tail end of an argument that Paul's making in um, really Romans chapter 5 through 8. But as we come to the text this morning, I wanted to kind of key in here and look here at, um, at verse 35 here and see how that kind of, and work backwards really, um, not really work backwards, kind of look at the, the, the end statement there that Paul makes. Um, and then kind of look at that in light of um, his statement. Look at the text in light of his statement. He starts um, giving us this, this claim in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And, and as... Um, as Paul has been writing in the book of Romans, he's been systematically making this case um, early on about how God has uh, revealed himself to creation, how um, it is clear as uh, what God is wanting to accomplish um, in mankind by redeeming them. He's made clear um, all the way back in chapter three, uh, stating that um, man is uh, is separated from God that has not uh, stood up to the righteous requirements of the law and has fallen short of um, the perfection of God's glory. He has uh, made it clear in uh, chapter five that he was willing to, the, that God was willing to, to, um, to reconcile uh, man to God by his own work. Um, he's made clear that the result of uh, of that sin in verse in chapter six is uh, is that the result of an unrepentant heart is uh, is death, but but that God is willing to give eternal life. That He's willing to uh, offer this eternal life um, to all, and, and so uh, He's kind of set this boundary line in place of what separates us from God. Uh, but now, as He comes to kind of the the pinnacle of chapter eight, he comes here to remind us of what shall not separate us from the love of God um, for those who are in Christ. And this is the point that he's trying to make this morning. And I think um, kind of what we want to remark upon this morning uh, as Paul's main point in chapter eight here is that we as Christians are secure in God's love, that we can be assured of that uh, we can be secure in his love when God is for us, right? When God is for us, that we can be secure in his love. And that's um, how he actually opens up this latter section of uh, chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, um, by making the point that God is for us. So if you look at verse 31, um, let's read it together. He says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He makes this claim uh, here that, um, you know, I have demonstrated throughout the book thus far that God has gone to these great lengths to rescue mankind, that he has uh, 
has demonstrated his own faithfulness um, by rescuing uh, man from his from his wrath and making a way for him to have uh, victory over sin and death. Um, and it's clear um, from from that in chapter uh, five that God demonstrates His love that when we're enemies. Um, Christ died for us, so he was willing to do this, that God is for us there. Um, but he says here that no one can be against us. Who can be against us, he says, uh, if God is for us? Now, we do want to understand this rightly, because I think sometimes there's a temptation for us to think, uh, you know, well, I'm a Christian, and so nothing can ever go wrong in my life. I can't experience any hardship, and no matter what I do, everyone has to agree with it. Um, but the but the idea here is not that um, God is for you yourself, but rather that God is for you in Him, right? If God is for us, uh, presupposes that we are in Him. So He's really for Himself in us. God is only uh, for us if we are reconciled to him in Christ Jesus. This is the only way that it works. He's not for us apart from Christ. Just because uh, you might think that God is with you, it doesn't necessarily make it true. You have to be in Christ in order for God to be with you. And this is what we highlighted last week um, as we looked at that text in 1 Corinthians. Right. If you recall, um, if you recall those those words there, that Christ became for us our redemption, our sanctification, our righteousness, and that we are in Him. Paul's making a very similar point here: that we are in Him, and we experience wisdom, righteousness, redemption, sanctification when we are in Him. But apart from Him, we don't experience those things. We don't get to enjoy uh, those things. Uh, and, and so um, Paul makes this point here that God is for us if we are in him. And then he says, who can be against us, right? If, if God is for us, what, what is, why does it matter if anyone else is against you? If you have uh, the creator of all things, of heaven and earth, of all things for you, it doesn't matter if any other creation is against you because the creator is for you. He is uh, standing beside you and seeing that you are found in him. And then as we move into verse 32, he gives us the evidence that uh, of this um, idea that God is for us in the gift of Christ, right? Verse 32, he writes this, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, this is probably one of the most important verses that you could hear and that you could learn. This is an anchor verse for your entire life. Because this levels the playing field for all of us, because a lot of times we think, well, you know, it's quite unfair that I'm experiencing, you know, X, Y, or Z, or that I'm going through this situation, or it doesn't really make any sense that, um, you know, things, these things are happening. But, but what happens here in verse 32 is God levels the playing field, and he says, 
You know, I have a son who I love, uh, you know, I, I have existed um, from eternity past with, and we have had a perfect love, a perfect fellowship, a perfect communion, and who, and, and my son has acted righteously with perfection and has always obeyed me and has never done anything wrong and continues without sin. And yet he was willing, the father was willing to give his own son, to sacrifice his own son. There could never be a, a more realistic uh, victim, perhaps, than Christ, in that he was the receiving of our sin, of our brokenness, but yet, yet he went willingly. He volunteered. He went into it to receive injustices. He went into um, becoming a man, the incarnation and receiving injustices and receiving the punishment of our sin, of our foolishness, of our wickedness. He received all of that on our behalf. He was deserving of none of it. And the entirety of it was completely unfair. There could never be anyone that has a more perfect argument for things not working out than Jesus, right? And we can't be above Jesus, so we can never say that we've not been deserving of anything. And so here, uh, Paul says, this is how much God loves you. This is how we know that God is for us. Verse 32, if, or he who did not spare his own son, the father did not spare his own son. He already gave the ultimate gift in giving us his son, in having Christ lay down his life. He then says, how can we think that God won't give us smaller things, these smaller gifts, these smaller acts of provision? This is a demonstration that God is for us because he was willing to give us his own son that he was willing to uh, offer up his own son. So of course he's going to give us these much smaller things. Of course he's going to give us uh, these uh, things that we might think are really big things, but they're, they're no big deal in contrast to what he has already given to us in his son. And so Paul wants us to see in verse 32 here that God's love for us it's anchored, it's rooted 100% in his own love for his own son. So we can bank on it knowing that this is an unshakable promise because we know that he loves his own son and that he was willing to give his own son. And so we can know that he will for sure love us if he's already given to that extent, to that max. So of course, He's willing to give us these much smaller things. So we can have this assurance that God is for us. Who can be against us? Well, before, uh, before we were in Christ, when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, right? When we were far from him, the enemy, Satan, the world, the devil were standing against us. Sin was standing over us in condemnation. The enemy was there seeking to uh, bring accusations, to bring temptations into our lives so that we might sin. And here, we might have, uh, we might have been tempted to, 
to uh, fall into those things, to uh, enjoy those seasons of sin. But yet here, Paul says, even those things uh, are things that Christ has already paid for. Even those things are, are things that would have kept us from God, the accusations of the enemy. Those accusations can't be made anymore because God is already for us in Christ Jesus. And so then he says that in the courtroom of heaven, the, the sentence has already, been, has already been declared. In the courtroom of heaven, that we already know what's happening. Look at verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Right? So as we come to verse 33, we see... Uh, the, the courtroom of heaven open up and we see there uh, standing before the great judge. We walk into that courtroom and yet there is uh, the prosecution, the accuser, Satan saying, here is a charge. This person has uh, acted sinfully, that they have offended your glory, God. They have broken your law. And yet, the defense is not our own words, but Christ. Our defense is that we look over and we see, standing there next to the judge, uh, our, our defense, our mediator, with pierced hands and feet, with a wounded side. It says, this has already been paid for. There's no charge that can be brought because this has already been settled. It is finished. And so we are secure from every charge against us. We are, don't have to be afraid of the enemy saying, you have acted sinfully in telling other people that we've acted sinfully. We can simply agree that that might have been the case and say, but it's already been paid for. We're declared to be in the courtroom of heaven, not guilty by the highest judge as the result of receiving Christ's righteousness. He took that guilt upon him. And yet we have received uh, his purity. We have received his innocence. And so we don't have to be a people who are standing in the throne room of heaven receiving this charge that we are guilty no one can bring a charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. We belong to him. He has already paid the price. And then we get to a second legal term in verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, right? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who, is in, who indeed is interceding for us. So there's no one to condemn us. There's no one who can bring a charge against us uh, because Christ has died. Here's how this works. Here's why we cannot, um, why, why a charge cannot be brought against us, why we cannot receive any condemnation. Because, he says, that Christ has died. That he's our advocate. He's promoting our, our um, innocence 
before the Father, so there can be no condemnation brought against us. And, and here we find that uh, he's really restating what he's begun the book with in, or re- begun chapter eight with, uh, beginning in verse one, right? He, he's kind of coming back to this argument that he opened with. If you look back at verse one, uh, Paul says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the, sp- or for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so Paul opens by making this claim that, that there was indeed condemnation, but it was condemning sin in the flesh, not for those who are in Christ. That not those who walk um, according to the Spirit. If you walk according to the Spirit, if you walk in Christ, then you are free from this condemnation. And he says here that this charge uh, cannot be brought against God's elect, that there can be no condemnation. And the reason that he brings is that one, Christ has died, so that's been paid for. But then he gets to justification, right? That's why he doesn't just leave it there. Christ Jesus is the one who died. And then he continues on and he says, more than that, not just that that has been accomplished, more than that, who was raised? who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He makes this point that Jesus is still alive. So if there was any doubt as to the work in this courtroom of heaven, you can say not only did Christ pay for our sin at the cross, but we know that it was indeed uh, accepted, that we are indeed justified uh, in, in before God because Here's Christ standing alive. Here's Christ uh, arguing on our behalf. Here's Christ in the courtroom of heaven defending us. Here is our evidence uh, of this justification. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews puts it this way in verse or chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. See, the writer of the Hebrews and Paul also uh, make this point that Christ is alive and he's always there making intercession. He's always there interceding on our behalf before God. And so there can never be a time where we stand in condemnation because if we're in Christ and he's always there making intercession for us, then we're always good. That he will not stop that work. That he will not um, let us down. He will always be faithful. And so as the result of that, as a result of understanding that God is for us, as a result of understanding that, um, that he has done this work on our behalf, we can know that we are secure in the love of Christ, 
we can know that we can be secure in God's love. And so Paul continues on in uh, verse 35. He says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, the reason here that Paul can make this claim, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The reason why he can say this is because Jesus is alive that there's nothing that can separate us. What would ordinarily separate us from, the, from someone's love is death. But one, Jesus has already conquered death. He's already overcome death. He's interceding at the right hand of God for us. And so he's doing this work on our behalf so we can never be separated from this love. Now, as Paul says this, he brings this into focus sharply for us because he starts with a list of things that tend to make us feel separated from God's love, that tend to make us wonder about God's love, that make us tend to wonder if it's really true that God cares for us, that he does indeed love us. And so he, he starts off um, giving us this list of uh, hardships and difficulties. And I want you to see here that he, he's not making the claim that just because God's for you means that your life is going to be easy. Just because God is for you means that things are going to be smooth sailing. But rather, uh, he's making the statement here that even though you're going to experience hardship, even though you're going to experience difficulties, these are things that cannot separate you from the love of God. And so we need to understand this rightly because when we understand it rightly, it draws us nearer to God, not pushes us further away. When we understand verse 32 he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also, not also with him, graciously give us all things? We need to have that in context in mind as we think about the hardships, the difficulties of life. And so Paul goes on to list these various difficulties. Shall tribulation or distress, these things that we're worried about, the that tend to make us question the love of God, tend to make us wonder like what's happening. We don't understand what, why things are happening, what's going on, that we feel like everything's out of control. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword right? This is a crazy list of things here, right? Just tribulations kind of encompass trials of all sorts of situ situations of um, things that bring about anxieties and worries. There's all sorts of uh, circumstances that could lead to distress. Persecution is an actual like um, uh, attack based on 
kind of the the faith of um, in, in Christ there and, and those who are seeking to uh, destroy um, Christ's work. Famine is kind of a practical aspect there. Nakedness um, isn't speaking of like, um, you know, like uh, sexual immorality, but rather like a lack of resources, of being in need, of, of want um, there. And then we have danger and sword. Sword is just a way to speak of death. It could, in some instances, it could be paired with persecution, but, um, but it's, you know, really just speaking of like facing, facing like death or execution perhaps. And, and, and as you look at the list, um, you know, I kind of had been reading this a couple weeks ago and uh, kind of been thinking about it. As you look at the list, I was like, man, this is like a real like 2020 sort of like list here. Like there's not many like years where like we've read that and we're like, oh yeah, like all of those happening all at one time. But, you know, like 2020 was, it's kind of, kind of been like that to a certain extent, right? It's like, we got like Australian wildfires to kick off the year and like pandas burning all over the ground. And then like this massive, like 70 year record locust swarm in East Africa and then bringing like famine and then COVID happens and everyone's locked down and the stock market collapses and like all these back-to-back, um, you know, uh, situations with like racial injustice tensions and then like protests and uh, riots and unemployment and political madness. And it just like kind of keeps going. Businesses are failing. There's an explosion in Beirut. Murder hornets show up on the scene. Like it just got getting like crazy. And, and in the midst of it, you know, we're all kind of like locked down here. And now we got wildfires in California that we're trying to like survive the smoke. So it's like, you, you can't go out in public, but then you also can't stay home and open your windows. And then it's like a massive heat wave here. And it's just crazy. Um, and these are just general hardships that we all experience and we all struggle with. Like they're not necessarily like persecution. Um, you know, we're not, you know, at least here in California, we're not facing like the sword, uh, but rather these are, these are things that cause us to be frustrated, to experience, um, exhaustion day after day after day of new things being thrown at us. I was, I was just reading this week and, um, looking on Twitter and, and someone was saying like, you know, it'll be, it'll be amazing the amount of like psychological damage that is the result of this year. And in a sense, I can see what they mean there because there's a lot of, um, we can be very tired from this sort of thing. But when we have an anchor that's rooted in Christ, these things should just be regular things that we have to navigate some larger than others, some impacting us more deeply than others. But yet, if our identity is firm, if our identity is founded in Christ, we know how to weather storms. We know how to deal with things that bring fear into our heart. We know how to process anxiety and worry. We know how to be a people who are uh, discouraged. We know where to run to in order to receive encouragement. We have a savior who is our strong tower and the righteous can run to it and be saved. We have a foundation that we can build on that is unshakable, that is certain, 
that it will not fail. We have these things and we can navigate this challenge successfully. We can navigate this year, not just um, getting by, but thriving, growing in excitement for love of Christ when we properly have him in perspective. I mean, there's a lot of hardships that people are dealing with. There's a lot of hardships that we're all dealing with individually and that touch us, um, our families and extended families in different ways. But we don't have to be controlled by those things because we are compelled by the love of Christ. We don't have to be mastered by those things because we are mastered by the Holy Spirit who gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. We can stand firm and content in the midst of difficulties and all sorts of circumstances because he has given us his joy. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And we can pursue Christ wholeheartedly and come to him for rest. You know, on Friday, um, Alan reminded us of Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus does put that call out, an invitation. And in that invitation, it does include those words, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. You see, we know where to get rest for our souls. The problem is a lot of us just don't want to go to him. The offer is there. We're already told what the end result will be. But the problem is a lot of times we just want to figure it out on our own way or say, well, you, you know, I, I want to try it my way first. I want to understand it my own way. I want to do my own thing. But here we're told by Paul, we're told, as we just mentioned, the book of Matthew chapter 11, that we can go to Christ and receive his promises. We can go to him because he is for us and that we can know that he loves us. Even Paul cites here in verse 36, um, a quote from Psalm 44. He says, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. The reason that he pulls this in is to make this point that God's people have always encountered opposition. They've always experienced hardship. This isn't foreign. This is the default mode that we live in as Christians, navigating difficulties and hardship. And so no matter what our circumstances are, none of the sufferings of this present time, none of the sufferings that we experience, not 2020, not unemployment, not the stock market, not our school programs being all messed up, not the inability to plan or the inability for travel, not the you know, hardships that we face financially, nothing can separate us from the love of God. More than that, uh, Paul continues in verse 37, and he says, instead of separating us from Christ's love, what in fact happens is that these things push us into greater victory. Look at verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Right? We're not only conquerors. We are more than conquerors. 
not you're just not even just the base level conqueror which most of us would settle for but we are more than conquerors so how does it happen well god is for you if you were for god god is for you if you are in him if you are in him that means he's doing the work if he's doing the work that means he's getting the victory if he's getting the victory that means it's his work and not your work which means that you are a more than conquerors right as he says through him who loved us you get the results attributed to your account you get the results that you get to enjoy he does all of the hard lifting he does all of the work so this isn't your own strength this isn't through your own strength but only through him who loved us. It's not simply that we are able to have great endurance in this time. But in fact, Paul says here that we have great endurance with great success. We bring glory to God. We bless other people with our lives. We um, enjoy Christ more as the result of his work and being in him. And the only way that this happens is when we are laser focused on remembering verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He did not spare his own son. How will he withhold anything from us? He did not spare his own son. He was the victor. He was the conqueror. He was the one who overcame all. And so we, through him, can overcome this circumstance, this situation, this time in life. And we can take these circumstances, these um, things that we face that can be quite bitter, right? Christ faced death, which is our most difficult enemy, the bitter end, and yet went into death, conquered death, and made something more out of it. He mocks death now. And Christians can look at death and say that when we go into death, we go into Christ because Christ is there waiting to receive us because he has won the victory. And so we now are conquerors as a result of Christ's victory. We don't just simply overcome. We don't simply just endure. We, more, we are more than conquerors. We more than overcome. We overcome with the ability, the power that he gives, right? In uh, Peter's letters, he says that for those of us who, who are in the body of Christ, we ought to operate with the, with the filling of the Holy Spirit. We ought to operate in the giftings of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he says there that we ought to serve with the ability that he gives. We ought to love with the ability that he gives. And so here... As we overcome, as we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, we are conquering with the power of Christ. We are conquering with a, 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 a more focused motive. We're not just enduring, but we are suffering these circumstances and situations well so that Christ might be glorified. We're not just doing it to survive. We're doing it so that Christ might be seen as more glorious. We're trying to magnify his name in the midst of this. We want it to be said that we made it through this season well. That people looked across and said, I don't know how you did it, how you stayed so joyful the whole time. 
I don't know how you navigated that. We want to say it wasn't I, but Christ. Because I had my eyes set on uh, the author and finisher of my faith. I had my eyes focused on him. The, our motive is not just surviving, but rather bringing him glory. And that as we go through this, as we go through this time, we don't lose anything, right? Just as we saw uh, David and his men went back to raid the Amalekites in 1 Samuel there and, and to take all of their stuff back, they didn't lose anything. This is the same thing that's going to happen here. We don't lose anything along the way because God always makes sure that his people have what they need. We don't lose anything. We don't, he's not like, well, you know, well, I, I forgot to give you something that was good for you, that you needed. We have all the things that we want that, that, that he wants us to have. We have all the things that he intends for us to have. We have all of the goodness, right? Because he has already given us of his own son. How will, uh, why would he withhold anything else from us? Why would he withhold anything else from us? And so, these things cannot separate us. These circumstances, these natural tribulations can't separate us from the love of God. But they're not the only things that tend to give us anxiety, right? Paul also reminds us that there's a supernatural realm that we can be worried about. We can look at the, the supernatural realm and we can look at, you know, Satan, and the demonic who are coming against us. As Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, uh, you know, principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age, he remarks upon these things in verse 38. So he says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, right? So there's those two things that are kind of, uh, that speak to like these unseen divine beings, angels and rulers is, uh, kind of what he's remarking upon there um, in Ephesians when he says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. That, that's kind of what he's getting at there, that spiritual component, um, supernatural component. Um, for I'm either sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. Right? The unknown in the present and the unknown in the future, they cannot separate us from the love of God. We, can't, we don't need to be worried about that, that something might get us, that we might fall, uh, fall prey to the temptations of the enemy. We need to look at him, he says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, he gives us this great summary of all the totality of all creation, all the good things in creation and all the bad things that, um, that we have to deal with uh, in the supernatural realm. None of these things will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So those things together, right? That last kind of phrase is, is really kind of what we're looking at. Nothing will be able to separate us. Nothing, anything, things created natural or supernatural. Nothing will be able to separate us, to 
pull us away from, to cut us off, right, from the love of God. What he intends to show to us and what he has shown to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. A massive encapsulating uh, collection of names and titles. Anointed One, Messiah, Savior, Lord, right? We have all of these things kind of encapsulated together that speak to the totality of his work. They all go together. When we are recognizing Christ Jesus as our Lord, that he rules us and that we he reigns over every area and aspect of our lives. When we recognize him as our redeemer, as our sanctifier, as our wisdom from God, as we spoke about last week in 1 Corinthians, as we recognize that this has been given to us uh, by God as an act of his love, there, uh, we realize that he has already given to us of his son. He has not withheld his own son. And so therefore, nothing can separate us because he's already given us the highest thing that could separate us, that the highest thing that he could withhold, he's not withheld that. And so there's nothing that we could experience that is more powerful than the risen Christ. There's nothing more powerful than Christ, our Redeemer. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And so we can know that God is for us when we are in him. And as a result, we are secure in God's love. Look, there's a lot that we've been dealing with this year. There's a lot going on in 2020. And we got five more months to go. I mean, realistically, it's like, it's not like God's operating according to our 12-month calendar anyway. So who knows? <coughs> who knows? But what we do know is that tomorrow is promised to no man. We don't know what's going to go on tomorrow. We have today, and we ought to say that we want to pursue God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. We want to love him with all that we are. And if he would grant us another day, we want to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him the next day. We want to do it together because he has died to make us his church, to bring us all together, not to walk this road alone, but to go together. And so we are going to be as faithful as we can to rejoice in the finished, complete, redeeming work of the risen Christ, who always stands or who always is, is, is there at the right hand of God to make intercession for us as his people. And so be encouraged. This isn't the worst year ever. This isn't the worst time ever. Tomorrow is the day that the Lord has made. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Just take it each day like that. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your kindness. And we're so um, blown away that you would even consider us to give us um, a wonderful gift 
in your son in not withholding your only son from us. A perfect spotless lamb without blemish, without error in any way. And yet, Lord, you willingly laid down your life as a demonstration of your great love for us. And so, Lord, we want to say thank you. We want to say that we love you. What, what a joy it is to be in your family and to know that the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, you know us so deeply and intimately. You care about us so fully. And Lord, you've, you've brought us into this time and this season. You've appointed this time and season for this group of people to be together, um, to live intentionally for your glory. And so remind us of your love. Give us strength. Give us endurance to uh, pursue you day by day and to enjoy you day by day so that we might not look to satisfy um, our own sinful flesh, but that we might look to be satisfied by the true and living waters of Christ Jesus. So Lord, be glorified in your church. We love you. Amen.